Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. The Pope and Young Club wants to welcome you as we rally together to ensure our bow hunting opportunities for today and tomorrow. You've come to the podcast that believes in preserving, protecting, and promoting the passion for bow hunting. Join us as we strive to be the voice of today's bow hunter. This is the Pope and Young Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Pope and Young Podcast. This is Jason Roundsville, joined by my co-host, as always, Dylan Ray. And we have uh, a guest we're definitely excited to talk to. We have Melissa Bachman joining us today. Welcome, Melissa. Well, thank you guys for having me. I sure appreciate it. Absolutely. We were just marveling at your trophy wall back there in your office. And uh, I think Dylan and I both are, are a little bit jealous. Not that that's your trophy wall, but that that's your overflow from your big stuff that's up in the house. So that's, I think, the part we got. <laughs> Well, thank you very much. It's uh, it's been a lot of years adding to it, and uh, when I started, it was very minimal, and then I just kept growing out of space. So that's outstanding. So if you had to pick one of the ones behind you, which one's your favorite? Um, I'd say that big. Uh, there's a big uh, muley that's got a big unicorn point right out of the middle of his head. It's probably a three inch, literally coming from a, a pedicle right out of the middle of his head. I think that's one of the coolest, most unique ones there. I think you can kind of see it right in the middle there. Okay. Very so. nice. Yeah. I, I love the red accent wall too. That's, that's a, a nice touch. Yeah. I like it. That way you can see the antlers a little bit better. Plus you got to change it up a little bit and I think it works pretty well and it, it matches everything very nicely. Very good. So if you, uh, so, so tell us a little bit about, how you got started hunting and especially bow hunting because you've been doing that for well well give us the the story well i started my mom and dad were big bow hunters and i grew up in a family they actually joke that the reason they always brought us hunting is just because they didn't want to pay for a babysitter <laughs> so yeah. that seems fair enough that's good um but they brought us all the time and we used to sit in the deer stands with them and you know it's just a part of growing up and at five i got my first bow um, and I started shooting a bow nonstop at five. Uh, I lived in Minnesota and you could not hunt until you're 12, unfortunately. And I was kind of a little shrimp, right? So drawing a bow was not exactly that easy. Um, in Minnesota, they had a 40 pound minimum. So I actually did push-ups for about a year and a half before I turned 12 to get strong enough to draw 40 pounds. Wow. Uh, and so on that year, um, when I turned 12, I was able to go out, I started hunting and, you know, it was, it, it took a while before I was successful with a bow, but I absolutely loved it. And I think some of that determination on, you know, really going that extra mile to make it happen really kind of helped add to it. And, 
you know, I've been a bow hunter ever since. I absolutely love it. And I, I feel lucky because, you know, my mom was a big bow hunter. My dad is. My mom was even in the paper, um, in our little local paper, Bachman Beggs Big Buck, you know. And he cool. was a nice deer for our area. But I still remember that growing up. And I think it's important to have mentors, to have people to look up to. And my goal was always to just find a way to hunt every day. I never wanted a TV show. I never wanted any of that. I just wanted to find a way that I could hunt every single day. And I think, so I've had my show now for 11 years. I'm filming for season 12 right now. And there were several years where I hunted about 320 days a year. And um, that's probably close enough to 365. <laughs> <laughs> that's You got to take Christmas and Easter and Thanksgiving and Oh, I had a lot of uh, family members that were, I never take Thanksgiving. I'm never home on that. That's too good a deer hunting to That's... skip that. I can maybe skip Christmas, but. <laughs> Jason, you know, the only thing I got from that is if somebody wants it bad enough, they'll, they'll, they'll go out and get it. And that's exactly it's like my, right. It's my pet peeve when somebody's like, well, you know, my, and Hey, I understand there's shoulder issues and there's pain and there's, you know, things we can't control. But my dad, he had went, went through two shoulder reconstruction surgeries only so he could pull his bow back. And I'm like, man, if somebody wants it bad enough, they'll go out and get it. Like they don't have to find excuses of, of, oh man, my poundage or, oh man, this or that, or, I mean, work for it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of it really comes down to core strength. You know, one of the number one emails I get, especially from women and new hunters getting into it is, Hey, what, what kind of exercises can I do in the gym to get strong enough to draw a bow? And I always say, skip the gym, go shoot your bow. <laughs> You know, right. really, it's those are the best muscles that you can train. And what I actually have done for years is all summer when I bow fish, I leave my bow set at the same poundage. So I'll shoot two, three hundred times a night bow fishing at wow. that same weight. And what it does is it really builds up that core strength. And I can tell you what, if you want to know what muscles you use when you draw a bow, go bow fishing and shoot 200 times. Yeah. And the next day, you know exactly which muscles you use. So I think it's important for people to remember you can get strong, you can do things, but the best thing you can do is put in time at the range and just shoot every single day. Somebody yeah. asked Michael Jordan, how do you jump higher? What, what do you do to jump higher? And he said, jump more. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. And it's, I've, I've talked to some new bow hunters about that and they're like, well, you know, how do I get better? I said, just shoot every day, shoot three arrows, make a commitment, shoot three arrows a day. Cause by the time you, you know, walk to wherever you're going to shoot, you, you always shoot more than three. So if you just shoot, make that commitment to do it every day. And I, I think that's, that's something that it's a lot of people could do if, if they chose to do it. And I think it's important to involve your whole family because I have found that if your whole family goes out in the evening and shoots together, for example, it makes it more fun. Our son yeah. is two years old and he comes out with us every time we shoot. He's got his own little bow and arrow. Obviously, it's not going to stick in the target or anything, but he's part of it. He's seeing how we're doing it at the range. He's just it makes it more fun for all of us because nobody is left out, you know. Yeah. And I might think I, more might people I say, can get no, involved better. No offense to this statement, but might I say that your son is the highlight of your social media? I, I agree. That. I think he could take over the whole show anytime now. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. He it's has so quite a personality. I can promise <laughs> you that. <laughs> it's awesome. I love it. So, so what poundage are you shooting now? Um, I've shot 64 pounds for probably the last I don't know, eight, 10 years, I would say. Um, and the main reason that I shoot that is I shoot a Matthews Prima. Um, and Matthews usually only makes their bows go up to 60 pounds for women. So I will do a few things to absolutely max it out. I can usually get them right at 64. Um, I do have a couple that I keep at 70. Um, for other instances, my biggest problem is having a short draw length. There's nothing I can do about that. My yeah. arms aren't as long. My mom is six feet tall. She's got a super nice long draw length. I did not get that lucky. So I keep my poundage up, but I shoot so much that I can shoot 64 pounds, you know, sitting down, legs up, whatever. And that's what I remind people is, you know, you just can't have it too high because if you can't get your draw, your bow drawn or you're making too much movement, I mean, if you're elk hunting and you're straining to draw, it doesn't matter how strong it was. You're going to have to spook the elk off long yeah. before it ever gets there. Yeah. Yeah. I see, I see people doing that at the range. Sometimes you're just like, man, that's uh, you pick and they do it every shot. And it's just, okay just a bad habit because when it comes down to it, just like you said, 
that much movement is going to spook something. You just can't. Well, and I'm it. a hunter. You know, I get it that people at the range can do it however they want, but like we try to keep our kids where it's at the least amount possible so they get yeah. that nice, easy form because we want them to be hunters and we want them to be successful. And whether you're on the ground or in a tree, that much movement, uh, big bucks are not going to tolerate that. Yeah. Now, so are your kids, are they, are they interested in hunting or do you have oh, some that are like, eh? You know, it's harder as they get older with sports. Um, sports have become very, you know, involved, um, but they all hunt with us. Um, they may not hunt as much as, as they would like with football in the fall or whatever, but like spring turkey, we try to get every kid out and get every kid a turkey. Jax, he wouldn't miss it, our three-year-old, for anything. That yeah. kid, is, he gets mad every day because he tells me he shouldn't be having to go to daycare, that he's a hunter and he can stay home and work. <laughs> yeah, I like I that. I have a feeling we're going to be seeing him down the road. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's a part of it all the time. You can't yeah. keep that shit out of it. <laughs> That's awesome. And especially there's that fire in, in the young folks too. I mean, three's a little extreme, but you know, I look at what I used to do when I was, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old to, to elk hunt and to bird hunt and different things. And I'm like, man, I, I don't, I can't do that anymore. I just don't have the, the drive and the, you know, I don't think my body could do some of the things that I used to do when I was younger. So it's neat to see that fire in, in the younger people. And I well, think I it's think important one of the biggest... to get them started too early because otherwise you miss out, you know? Yeah. I think one of the biggest issues um, is that people think kids aren't passionate about anything. They can't get kids to commit to anything. I think they're absolutely wrong. I think they're just way too passionate about video games and their cell phones to show any commitment to anything else. Because when you get them passionate about duck hunting or archery or you name it, they go all in full force. Yeah. Um, it's just a problem of getting them out from in front of what they're passionate about, Xbox, YouTube, whatever. Get them out from in front of that and get them passionate about something else, and then you'll see the passion. Then you'll see it take place. But parents I, all the time are like, I can't get my kid out from in front of the TV. They're not passionate. They won't do anything. They won't commit to anything. you got to find something they're passionate about. And you got to do it early, you know. Um, we've been taking Jack since our first year. We brought him turkey hunting. I think he was eight months old and we brought him out there. And believe me, we've had challenges along the way. But by bringing him that whole time, he's not wondering at three or four if he's going to come along. He expects to come along. And yeah. I think there's so many people out there who think, gee, that's pretty early. That might, they're not going to be quiet. Who cares? We've taken Jack's and he howled at turkeys as they were coming in. We had a gobbler coming in. It gobbles. He howls back at it and it shock gobbles and he thought it was hilarious. And of course he spooked it off, but you know what? That's a memory I will never forget. And I added it to the show and it made it so exciting. And then we did it again. This time we set up in a blind and we made it happen. But because he's been there, a lot of people would think a year and a half is too young. Two and a half is too young. This year's three and a half. He's going to be there. He wouldn't miss it for the world. And if we hadn't taken him that whole time, at three and a half, he wouldn't even know or be interested. He might rather go hang out with grandma. But I got a picture yeah. of a buddy of mine. He and it's more of selfish reasons. Obviously, you're not trying to get a kid involved in hunting, but um, three and a half weeks old, he took his baby in a car seat, like in a carry, you know, put it in the blind and hunted. And uh, you know, it was more of like a hey, you've got the kids tonight, and he wanted to go hunting, so he made a way to go hunting. But I'm like, Man, it's never too early to get them going. Like you have to lower your expectations a little bit, but start taking them. Mm-hmm. That's I was I was born in August in September. I was at Deer Camp in Eastern Oregon. So I mean they didn't <laughs> let me they didn't let me carry a gun, but or a bow <laughs> or anything else, but whatever, you know. You got to be there at least, right? Yeah, I did. I don't I have a hard time remembering that first season. <laughs> so, so you've got uh I, I mean obviously you've hunted all over the place. What is, if, if you had to pick just one thing to chase, what would it be? That's pretty hard to say, but I guess if I had to pick one thing, it'd probably be whitetails. And that's because that's what I grew up with, right? When I was a little kid, I didn't dream of shooting a world-class moose, right? I dreamed of shooting a big whitetail. And so my whole life, that's always been kind of the number one thing. There's so many other things I enjoy, but if I had to pick one thing, I mean, if you're going to see a monster of anything, a whitetail is what gets me the most excited. And that's the one thing I would never be able to walk away from hunting just from the yeah. challenges of it. Yeah. And then what's, uh, 
if you have a bucket list left, what would be at the top of that? Um, I definitely want to go back up to the Yukon and shoot a moose with my bow up there. Um, we've had some okay. of the best hunts you could ever imagine in the Yukon. Um, huge bulls, amazing people. We have some of the best people you could ever ask to hunt with. But that is one that I will go back and do. And I also would like to go get a brown bear and call it in. Um, I've done it numerous okay. times on black bear where you call them in and they come charging right in. And I want to do that with my bow and go to Kodiak again and try that. But wow. um, I was really hoping to be able to bring jacks with me, but yeah, I can go again in four years and I'm not sure he'll be quite big enough or he'd probably be missing too much school already, but we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> he'd be wow. ready to fight that bear though. <laughs> he'd be yeah. ready to steal my bow and shoot it. I promise you. <laughs> You're like, give me that mom. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, he'll be seven pulling 64 pounds. That's I bet. I mean, he's doing one handed push ups right now. So <laughs> nice. That's great. Um, man, so calling in, calling in a brown bear. Mm -hmm. That's a new one. See, then all of a sudden that, that changes the dynamic a little bit. And it's um, for Here's me, and I've, yeah, I've talked to Dylan about this before. I'm like, man, before I came to Pope and Young, I had zero interest in hunting brown bears with a bow because it's just like, man, that's too close. And then all of a sudden you start talking to people and a lot of folks, that's their thing. They like hunting, you know, dangerous game. And then you, you look at it and this is literally taking it to that next level where now all of a sudden they're coming in expecting a meal and you're it. It's that's pretty cool. And you've done that with black bears. Yeah, I've done it. I think I've called four black bears and shot all four of them inside of 20 yards with my bow calling them in. But we did Kodiak Island this year, and my husband was able to shoot his brown bear at four yards with his bow and arrow. And he actually drew, and the bear was so close that he had to look up over his peep because all he could see was brown. And I was up above filming it, and it was one of the coolest things ever. I was worried because I thought the bear was going to step on them. And it was supposed to be in the river and it, or on the opposite side. And that bear came on their side. And I legitimately thought that he might step on them. I mean, four yards is incredibly close. And that was my yeah. husband's dream to have a bear that close. And it was so cool to see. He was just beyond excited. <laughs> yeah, that's that's close. I mean, yeah. especially something like that, because it, it doesn't take a brown bear long to <laughs> to to give you a bad day. Yeah. Jeez. Okay. And so how about if you had to pick one thing overseas, Africa, South America, where would that be? What would it be? Uh, if I had to pick one thing overseas, we went to Mozambique um, a while back and I really enjoyed that. Um, where we hunted had some of the most wild, crazy places. I mean, it's nothing like lodges like you see. I mean, this was way, way out in the middle of nowhere. At night, we had hyenas and wild lions fighting over the meat shed in our camp. And we were just staying in tents and we could hear the lions roaring. And he was like breathing right outside our tent um, to go out there and to do, you know, either lion, leopard or Cape Buffalo with a bow. Um, that would be the ultimate experience, but do it in uh, Mozambique's my favorite place. I don't okay. want to sound like a chicken, but I'll stay home for that one. <laughs> oh, I loved it. It was awesome. It's there's something neat when you're, when you're sitting in a tent and you can hear, you know, those lions just I not far away. It's I, I mean, I'm talking like, like less than five yards away and you could hear him breathing. And he was like panting because the hyenas were chasing him around and he was trying to get the meat. And my husband and I were both sitting up in bed and we thought it was awesome. And the next morning, the PH said, um, how'd you guys sleep? And we said, you won't believe it. And he goes, oh, I was hoping you slept through it. Were you okay with that? And we're like, no, that was amazing. He's like, oh, okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think those are the words I would use to describe that situation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They I got was... a whole meat shed. They're not coming for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I was in uh, Botswana and you start talking to them. They're like, okay, well. If you're walking around, you know, especially at night, stay on because they have these elevated walkways mm -hmm. and they're like, you know, just just stay on the elevated walkways. And you're like, well, why? Well, you know, because of the the leopards and the snakes. And I'm like, good answer. OK, I'll stay on the walkways. <laughs> no more information needed. Right? Yeah, that's all I need. I'm good. I'm like, you know, leopards are they're, they're 
pretty tough. You know, I might be able to talk one of them out of eating me, but I don't like snakes. So I'll stay up on the, on the porch. I had a buddy one time, kind of a situation like that. And one of the guys that he was hunting with left the, the cook shed early. He's like, you know, I'm gonna go tuck in guys. And, uh, my buddy was heading back and he's a big old boy, probably 350. And, uh, he was heading back and his buddy had hit underneath one of those. And when he walked by, he reached up and grabbed him and made a loud noise or whatever. <laughs> he said, you've never seen 350 pounds run two miles so quick, dude. <laughs> That's mean. <laughs> oh, but yeah, that is mean. Especially after he had to crawl under there with the snakes. Yeah. No. You might've found more than he was bargaining for. By yeah, going under exactly. There. So where, what other countries have you been to in Africa? Have you been um, to some I've of the other ones? Namibia, South Africa, and Mozambique are the three main places. Wow. Okay. And what was the highlight? If you had to pick one, one hunt or one trophy from, from your Africa experiences. Um, I shot a Cape Buffalo this last year. That was pretty amazing. Um, but we actually set up a leopard blind and sat there and I was able to film a leopard at about 30 yards during daylight hours. Um, wow. I was not hunting, but it was truthfully the coolest thing I've ever been a part of. Uh, my feet were just shaking so much. They were like hitting the ground and the footage is in the open of my show and the leopard yawns and opens his mouth wide and then turns his eyes and looks directly at us in that blind. I mean, he knows we're there and it was during the daylight. It was the coolest experience I've ever been a part wow. of. And it said I wasn't even hunting, but it was amazing. Huh? And so what was, what was that? Was that just for, for some footage for the show or what was yeah, your... I wanted to get close to him like that. Um, and I, the way it was set up, we wanted to just kind of figure it out, see what it would work. My husband and I would like to go back and do it someday, but we built the hut. We kind of experienced the whole thing just to get a bunch of cool footage. And it was incredible. Wow. Yeah. Cause you don't see that. You don't hear about that even very often during the day. No, so and you know, cool. we had them the night before in the dark and it's, you know, it's cool in the dark, but you got lights. It's not the same. And we put in the time and that leopard showed up during the day. And of course it's at dusk, you know, but yeah. it was just unbelievable. It was the coolest footage I've ever filmed in my whole life. So nice. it, was, it was worth it. Now, uh, do, I wonder, maybe you could go put your calling skills to work on a leopard. Yeah, you can. Uh, absolutely. The only thing is they're so smart that they know kind of what's going on. Um, like that, that leopard, we were completely still and he knew we were in that blind, right? So that's kind of the challenge with it. We actually, my husband and I have talked about if we go back, we want to go and do night calling um, and bring in hyenas and all those different things and go out at night in Africa. It would be incredible. Um, yeah. and, you know, I'm positive. Who knows what you could call in, um, but you better watch your back and have someone watch yeah. the back side of you too. Yeah, it's it's and it's just different there. I mean, for folks that haven't experienced that, um, you know, we were on a blood trail for an eland one time and it started getting dark. And they're like, Well, we we better, you know, head back to the road and and head back to camp. And I'm like, Well, you know, gosh, don't can't we get some lights or something? He's like, Man, we ain't gonna we're not being out here at night. And I'm like, well, why not? He's like, uh, lions, hyenas, leopards, snakes. He's like, not for me. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. But you don't, you don't want to be chasing it. a bloody dead animal. No. <laughs> when and over there, everything is designed to kill. Yeah. You know, even the brush, there's thorns and just everything has stickers on it. So was was that was that some diet do I saw there? Oh yeah. I'm uh, shout out I, to our title sponsor, oh, Diet Mountain. Shout Dew. out to Diet Mountain Dew. I promise if I ever quit drinking Diet Dew, my whole town would wonder what happened to the Diet Mountain Dew supply. They probably think the town I live in has the biggest. We drink a lot of it here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I get off of it for a little bit at a time. And then I'm just like, you know what? I'm having a bad day. I need my Dew. So, <laughs> yeah, I get it. Yeah. You know, I've, I've done it long enough. I was off it for a year once. I'm like, okay, I can do it. But I just enjoy it too much. I can't so, do it in moderation. I try, but just can't. Yeah. That's my only vice. It's just the way it is. <laughs> yeah. That's one of our the gals that works with us. She's always like, okay, well, you, have, you you shouldn't drink the diet stuff, but if you do just drink one a day. And I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> just one. So, well, that, uh, 
I mean, that leads me to a question is when you're out in the back country or across the world, what is one thing that you find you can't live without on your hunts? What's something in your pack that you just wouldn't want to live without? Diet Mountain well, Dew. Diet Mountain Dew is one of them. I'll yeah. tell you what, I went in on a moose hunt and um, I don't ever bring it with, right? Moose, brown bear, whatever, because you're going so far in there. They're so limited on weight. And we're get, we loaded our plane up and they're like, gosh, you guys have a bunch of extra room. And I said, is there a, a convenience store close by? I'll go fill it up with Diet Mountain Dew because then we can have Diet Dew on the whole trip. And oh, they yeah. said, well, it's not real close. So I skipped it. But um, the, honestly, that you know, there's a lot of things that I wouldn't want to live without, but if I had a choice and I was going to be a high maintenance person, which I'm not, I'd be like, yeah, if we could get some diet Mountain Dew, that'd be great. Okay. All right. I'm going to, I will accept that answer, Dylan. So let's put that on the list. That's Jason's I, favorite answer so far. Hey, I have, I like bacon. Bacon was a good answer, but diet Dew is right there. And it's, um, I've done that. I've shipped it with me. Like I've gone to Hawaii before and I just take a, you know, get a free check bag. I'll take a cooler, fill it full of diet dew. And, and there you go. What state were we in where you looked for diet Mountain Dew like all week and you never found it? I am the <laughs> No, I think it was Utah. No, Utah has it. Cause it's a Pepsi state. You remember we were driving across and like every restaurant, they never had Mountain Dew. What, where was that? And then the convention center didn't have it. You were miserable. Yeah. Um, we were all miserable just being around you. <laughs> you know, well, you know, some of my, some of my old guys, they used to, I was, I flew in one time and I forget where it was. I think it was in California. And uh, one of the guys that worked for me, Jim, Jim Giampaolo, great guy. And uh, he picked me up at the airport and I literally throw my stuff in the back. I jump in the seat and he actually had, a Mountain Dew in the console for me when he picked me up at the airport. I was like, man, that's pretty slick. So I've not had to pick you up yet though. Yeah. <laughs> See, we'd that's, get along great. I'd have six of them cold, right? Waiting not have already drank two of them. So we'd that's right. Too. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We'd probably be battling over the last one. We'd be like, there's only one cold one left. So <laughs> that's, um, so what is on your on your radar screen for coming up? What hunts do you have that, that you're looking forward to this year? So this year I'm still kind of waiting on tags because there's still a lot of states I haven't drawn yet. Um, so what I usually do is I put all, all I plan my whole hunt, my whole fall myself. Um, and I'll put the hunts that are already know that I'm going to get those tags. So there's certain states I'll go to every year. Illinois, we bought ground there. Um, so I'll do an archery hunt and um, a couple gun hunts there. Um, I go to Montana every year. I do a Colorado mule deer and antelope hunt right when the season opens for velvet muleys. Um, I do that every year. Um, I can always count on that. And then South Dakota, I get quite a few tags here and we have a lot of ground that we control and own here. So I try to put those hunts in that I know I have and then kind of keep my fingers crossed for some of the big elk hunts that I've applied for, um, especially... Yeah. You know, uh, across the country out west, you kind of got to wait to see what you draw and then and then make plans after that. Yeah, it's different because we have folks on the show and, and some of them don't really hunt out west. And mm -hmm. that's how, you know, I grew up. That's where I'm from is, is Oregon. And mm -hmm. so the whole draw system and waiting, you know, mm -hmm. 5, 10, 20 years to get the tag you want, that's just part of the, the hunting game. And then I get so jealous because some folks, you know, back east and, they're like, oh yeah, I went out and I shot, you know, a buck and two does today. And well, I got a buck and two does yesterday. And you're just like, man, that's like, yeah. it's just a different, different world. So I can literally jealous. be, I can, in a matter of about two hours, I can be to four different States, which are all over the counter, non-resident wow. tags. Um, so, you know, if, if I end up killing in Kansas, it's like, well, I'll just head to Oklahoma in the morning and, and it's a 30 minute drive to Oklahoma or Missouri. You can be to Missouri in an hour. I mean, so I, I'm one of those lucky guys, I guess. Yeah. I did Definitely that a few. A good area. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I did that a few years ago. I, I tagged out on my bull in Oregon the first week and Idaho opened the following week. So it still had a month to go and. So I talked to a buddy. I said, Hey man, I'm going to run up to Idaho and, and 
chase some elk. You want to go? He's like, absolutely. So we jump in the truck and we bomb up there, grab our tags on the road. Well, now all of a sudden those tags are selling out in minutes. And this was, I mean, it's just, everything is, is changing so fast. And it just wasn't that long ago. It was a few years ago. It's not, I'm not talking about, you know, this, the eighties and, uh, Don't so give away the, your age there, Jay. Gosh, it's, I'll tell you what, the dynamic is, is changing and I, I hope it's for the better. Yeah. Well, and you kind of learn those states too, that have the over the counter options, you know, that even yeah. later, you know, that you can always go and kind of count on and pick up. And like, I always buy way more tags than I think I could ever fill, especially with over the counter, just so I have them ready. If I get on a roll, I mean, there's been some years, um, my cameraman and I, a couple of years ago, we killed five bucks over 150 in seven days. Wow. Um, and just, I mean, it was just phenomenal hunting, but the thing is you can't do that unless you have it lined up for way more than you think you could ever do. Just yeah. in case you get on a roll, things are going well. You can go state to state to state. Yeah. That's nice. Dylan, well, we was- should do that. Maybe one of these days we'll take the podcast on the road like that. Jason, I bet we could kill five forkies in seven days. There you go. Get oh, it done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I bet we could. You know, the problem is if you kill a fork and horn on some of these places, you'll never get invited back. (laughs) Now, at what point in your hunting career did you say, you know what? I just want to shoot the big ones. Um, Well, when I was growing up, I grew up in Minnesota and it was pretty much there was not any management for bucks at all. And I always kind of wondered, what can we do to get bigger bucks? Because everyone just always shot smaller ones. And I think when I was a junior in high school, I shot a pretty nice buck. It was, I thought, the biggest buck I'd ever shoot. Um, It wasn't that big at the time. But looking back, that's kind of where it kind of changed for me is, you know, I had a few deer under my belt. I got that one and kind of got a taste of what it was like to shoot an older, big, mature buck. And after that, that was kind of really what I went for. Um, And especially as I started filming, I always believed that I wanted my show to be about quality. And I really wanted to, you know, get out there and be interactive. I do a lot of decoying. I bring in bucks and be kind of picky. And when you're picky, you go home empty handed sometimes. And I try to show people that that's at the stage where I'm at. I'm okay with that. Our kids go hunting. It's all, you know, whatever they want to do, I'll support it. And I'm happy for them. Um, But when they get to that point where, you know, they want to be chasing those bigger mature bucks, then I'm, I'm all about it and we'll help them make that happen. Yeah, it makes me makes me feel a little less than adequate when somebody says you go home empty-handed and behind them is twenty-five giant whitetails. Yeah. No, well, I put in a lot of time in the field. I promise. There's many hunts going empty. Yeah, and that's the. Uh, I think that's the thing. Is everybody you talk to that shoots the big ones, that you have to be willing to just eat that tag occasionally. Yep. And that was, you know. I think where I was back in the day, it was a little bit different. You know, it was like, Hey, you know, you go back to school on, on Monday and you're like, did you get your buck? Yep. Or nope. Yep. And, uh, I'm not- really good at holding out until like the end of November. And then I'm like, Lord, if a forky walks out, I feel sorry <laughs> for it. You know? Yeah. I actually, my dad actually rubbed it. Like I sent him a picture. I'm like, Hey, I got my buck this morning. And he's like, dude, you've sent me videos all year long of deer bigger than that, that you passed. And I'm like, I know, but it wasn't the end of November. Like, yeah, <laughs> those deer got lucky. <laughs> yeah. You're and see some people have the other thing. They won't shoot a, a buck on the last day that they wouldn't shoot on the first day. Yeah. I have a, I have a sliding scale. Mine's not very high to begin with, but then it goes down yeah. pretty quick. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's probably why I don't have a wall like that, Dylan. <laughs> so what the good thing is sometimes you can look back, you know, obviously I've got to be smart about it too, because I'm filming a show, right? So one, I have to think about that. If I pass a buck on the first day, if I shoot it on the last day, it's pretty hard to justify that I already passed this buck, right? So as yeah. far as television goes, I'm trying to make it make sense. So that helps me not go back on what I've already decided. But also, you know, I've made and I don't do it very often, but I've made a couple really great episodes that were just incredible hunts. And I didn't end up notching my tag. Now I don't do it very often to make an episode out of it, but it is nice to remind people sometimes that, you know, it can really be one of the best hunts of your life. And it doesn't always come where you actually notch your tag. So 
I think it's important to show a little bit of balance and just show some of the struggles or maybe you're kicking yourself about one that, you know, maybe you should have shot in, in being honest about it. That's what my whole show is about is just exactly as it goes down, what I'm feeling, what I'm going through, the mistakes I make or the good things that happen, try to show it all. That's awesome. No, and I, I think that resonates with people too. Cause it's, it's folks have seen the, you know, Oh, here's, here's how, how great I am. And I never make a mistake and I'm so good. And, and people know better than that. That's not realistic. And, yeah. you know, I put in an episode, I was chasing mule deer with my bow up in Alberta and we had hunted for 10 days and we had been on literally stud bucks the whole time, but just never had a clean shot. It was either too windy, too far shots. I was at full draw, I think three times, but didn't release an arrow because things weren't just right. And on the very last day, I saw a buck that I thought bedded down in, it wasn't very high of grass. And I told my cameraman, the guide, I said, I saw a big buck go in there and he never came out. And now this was like, you know, a thousand yards away or 2000, who knows? And they said, I don't know. So we eased our way down there. We got up to where I thought he was and there was no deer. The buck wasn't there. So I thought, well, there were some hay bales there. And I said, I'm going to jump on top of the hay bale so I can get a better vantage point in case he's laying his head down. And they were kind of laughing at me. So I jump up to get on the hay bale and I was a college pole vaulter, not a high jumper. So I couldn't get on the hay bale and slipped off and started laughing, laying on the ground. That big buck popped up 20 yards from me. Oh, was there the whole time and ran off. And I'm talking an absolute stud and the whole thing's on video. And I ran it and made a show out of it because again, I want people to know it's realistic, right? That happened. I was pretty bummed at the time. Now I can look back and laugh, but things like that happen. And it's just part of the way things go. It's no big deal. Yeah. And that's, well, that's part of hunting. You know, it's like when you're elk hunting, it's the dreaded puff of wind on the back of your neck. And you're like, there it went. That's it. That's all she wrote. It's game over. So, you know, and that's something that, that some people will never understand. What do you mean? Wind on the back of your neck. And it's like, yo, when you get there, you'll, you'll understand. My favorite thing is when you tell somebody, yeah, I had the biggest deer of my life at 30 yards this morning. They're like, shoot it. And I'm like, it's a lot more complicated than that. Like, yeah, it's not just easy all the time, you know? And I think it's important for new hunters to know that it happens to even the most seasoned hunters, right? Because otherwise I feel like people can easily get where they're like, you know, maybe this isn't for me, right? You have to remind them, this is the thing that makes you a bow hunter. This is the thing that's going to make it that much more special when it does work out. And I never want people to get discouraged. So that's why I try to show those things because I want to make sure that if there's a new woman out there, new kid out hunting, that it happens once that they don't just call it quits and give up on it. It happens to everybody at all points in your career. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's in an instant gratification world. You know, you look at video games. Oh, I had three lives. My guy just died. Now I just press start and then I get to do it all over again. You can't do that hunting. And it's just, it's one of those things where I tried to explain that to somebody years ago about calling. And I said, okay, when I, you know, when I'm out calling ducks, I said, imagine if you're in, in a concert, cause they played the flute. I said, imagine if you played the flute and all of a sudden you blew the wrong note and your entire audience just got up and left the building completely. That's how it is. When you're calling animals, you, you mess up and they're gone. You don't get to, to make it up on the next one. And uh, I think some people don't realize that sometimes. Yeah, that's a great analogy. <laughs> Not yeah. only that, they could be gone for for weeks to come. I mean, yeah, you know, I've blew off, I, I've I've messed up big bucks, and and then the next two weeks you're calling, they know where you're calling from. They know you screwed them up two weeks ago. Like they know what that noise is now. Like you've you, you've you've educated them. Yeah, that's. Um, and I educate them a lot. Yeah. I'm See, an educator. Melissa doesn't educate them. By the time they know what's coming, they're like they're getting dead. ready for the wall. Yeah. I hope so. That's all you can try to do. But there's a few out there that get educated. And uh, then you learn from what, uh, you know, and it happens with decoying, with rattling, whatever. You know, sometimes you have big bucks come in and something goes wrong. I'll tell you what, we had a big double main beam buck that was coming in. And as I was at full draw getting ready to shoot, all the brush blew off the top of my blind. 
literally, well, I'm talking within a second, I was putting pressure on my release, going to shoot him. And for the rest of that season, that buck didn't want anything to do with that area, that decoy, anything. And we never did end up getting them. Now, last year we were hunting Nebraska, had something happen. The buck spooked off. We reset up about 600 yards away. The very next day I decoyed him in again, 15 yards and shot him. So, you know, you never know. Um, you educate them and every once in a while you get lucky. They get in the rut and they're dumb enough to, they might make the mistake twice, but not usually. <laughs> yeah. Now, do you use decoys for other species? Uh, I use them for turkeys. I use them for antelope. I use them for elk and I use them for deer. Okay. And have you had, so how do you use them like elk? For Are elk, you... we primarily just use them as a, a shield to get across open areas. So okay. we'll just like a Montana decoy, pop it up. And that's usually just to cover us walking from one place to the next, just to make sure nothing sees us. And then we will sometimes put it where if we've got someone calling back, we'll put that cow up. So that way I'm sitting here and that bull will come past me and give them some sort of a visual. So that way I can get my broadside shot. Um, but that's really the only way we use them for elk is to pull them past me or to use them to get across an open area. Gotcha. I got a question for you. Have you ever yeah. used the, uh, the 2d, Whitetail decoys? Nope. I've only used, um, I've used a Dave Smith decoy for a long time. I bought one years and years ago and it has been the best thing I've ever seen. There'll be some seasons I'll decoy 30, 40 different bucks in with it. Um, so I've had just such incredible luck that I haven't used anything else because I've had such good luck with that. Well, I got some for Christmas last year and I mean, that's an investment. Like they're, they're still expensive and mm -hmm. you look up videos and they seem to work, but like I look at them and I'm like, man, like I don't, you know, cause the stakes, the legs go halfway up the stakes. And I'm like, I just don't see a whitetail running into this. Like, well, I think it comes down to one, how hard they're running and two on a decoy like that. If you get a buck's attention, you might be able to keep it for a short time and you better right. get your shot or he's going to be gone. Right. Yeah. Or my boy, I've had bucks, mature bucks stand in for 10, circling, 12 yeah. minutes circling it because it's so realistic. They can't tell the difference where a buck that's maybe less realistic to you. You can use it for that short window to grab their attention, get them in, and then you better make that shot or they're not going to hang around. That's yeah. probably the case. Yeah. That's um, Dave Smith decoys. That's an Oregon based company. Just about 45 minutes South of me. They make some shout out to Oregon. I know. <laughs> I got it. You know, anymore, I got to take it where I can get it with that one. This episode <laughs> is brought to you by Oregon and Diet Mountain Dew. Yes. So it's uh, for years. I've been a, a pretty good ambassador for the state of Oregon. But man, lately, they've just they're pulling some stuff now. It's hard. It's hard to get on board with. So so we'll take it where we can get it. And then uh, so you're are you in South Dakota? Yes. Yes. We live okay. in South Central South Dakota. South Central South Dakota, and, and what took you to South Dakota? Why did you say, hey, this is going to be home? Well, first off, it's some of the best hunting I've ever seen, so that was a great part. But I was actually on a hunt here years back, and I was hunting whitetails, and I met my husband. He's a game warden here. Um, and so I did that hunt, and then I started coming back turkey hunting with him, and then I deer hunted with him for years. And then we ended up getting married, and I moved here, and um, – absolutely love it you couldn't pull me out of south dakota for anything now <laughs> nice good for you that's uh you know you don't hear the game warden getting the girl very often so good for him <laughs> it worked i shot yeah. a big buck too so that helped <laughs> nice nice yeah you know i'm gonna need to check your license and and tag and while you're at it give me your phone number that's <laughs> Just in case we have any further questions. Yeah, just in case I have any further questions or, or need a date on Friday. Yeah. See, and then he didn't have any excuses because he knew you were tagged out. He's like, she got her buck. She's she's yeah. free Friday. Yeah. He called he called and said, listen, we're going to have to ask you some further questions at Applebee's at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. Yeah. Make sure. We're something nicer, though. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll bet in South Dakota, that's uh, – you know, it's probably Applebee's is probably camo acceptable. Uh, yeah, probably, probably right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's, I was, uh, it's funny about clothes. You look at that and you're like, hey, you wear something nicer. And it's like, dude, I, I pay My way. camo is the most expensive stuff I've got. Yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> I got some pretty decent, you know, like black pinstripe suits, but I don't pay a fraction for those. 
for what I pay for my hunting gear. I can assure you that. There you go. So. Just take it easy on the doe ester sense, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, that's why this, this year, I, what was that stuff? The uh, vanilla stuff? Nose jammer. Nose jammer. Whew. That stuff's great. I like that so well. I stick it in my truck. So, are you big on scents? Do you use scent lures and I, stuff? I do a lot um, because I'm decoying. So, one of the things that I've found with when I'm decoying whitetail, so I put that decoy out and then I completely spray it down with scent killer. So, I get my scent off of it, right? Because I put it out. I don't want any of my scent on it. And then I'll actually take a bottle of like golden scrape or something that has the, the secretions of, of a scrape. So, the buck scents. And I'll pour that on the back of the decoys hawks and even take hawks that I've cut off of my other deer that were rutted up and throw them on the ground. And then I get in my stand, obviously, I make sure I've got a good wind. And then I'll rattle, grunt, snort, wheeze so that those bucks hear it. They come in, they see it. And as soon as I see a buck, I won't make another noise because I don't want them to know where that sound's coming from. So then I just let the visual take over. And of course, a big buck's every time going to go and get downwind of that decoy, smell them. They don't smell you. They smell another buck. Now they come around to the front and they want to fight it head on. And that's usually where I'm set up to take my shot. So I find it really effective because when you can trick three out of a five buck senses, you usually can get them completely fooled. Um, And I've just done it so many times that the evidence is kind of irrefutable. I mean, it doesn't work every single time, but if you're looking for a numbers game, more times than not, it brings those big bucks in. I've always found that a slightly quartering away decoy will give, I'm sorry, slightly quartering two decoy will give you a slightly quartering away shot because they're going to face head on. And so then that buck will be slightly quartering away to you. Um, so that's how I've always found that works best for me at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it just kind of depends on what I have for the terrain around it, what I have for branches, things in my way. Um, also a lot, sometimes you'll get the big bucks that won't come into your decoy. They won't commit all the way. So they'll parallel walk them. So sometimes that's why I like having my decoy more broadside. Um, I will quarter it to me some, but I also don't want it quartered to me too much that it looks like my decoy is looking at my blind um, because you don't want to put any more attention on you too if you can help it. So it's all about trying it and seeing what works in your spot. And I've always said when you're sitting there, if you've got a small buck that comes in and he doesn't do what you need him to do to get the shot, you need to get down and make a change. Because I've found Mm. unless the wind changes, those small bucks will do the same thing the big bucks. Every buck will do the exact same thing, follow the same path that day until the wind changes. So, you know, make your moves if you need to. Um, don't just sit there with it not working. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, good tip. It's, um, you know, the whole scent thing. If you look at, you know, the scents that are available and the scent killers and, you know, now the ozone stuff and it, it's just this huge thing. and I mean, we've all had, uh, we've all had situations where the winds busted you and all of a sudden you're like, Oop, yep, they smell this. We're, we're done. But then there's also, you hear the stories of, oh yeah, I went out and, you know, three of us cut brush for about an hour and then we threw it in a pile. Then I'm like, you know what? I'm here. I'm going to crawl up the tree stand. And the, you know, they just, he's talking the whole Brian Butcher. Up. Hey, you know, and here's a shout out to Brian Butcher. Cause he was honest about that though. And he's like, yeah, we were, we were cutting lens and we threw him in a pile and I, crawled up the tree and and kill a 300 inch whitetail and it's like so it's uh that's just interesting to see how it how it varies so much across the board and it's all comes down to i think it all comes down to where you're hunting i mean if you're hunting private ground where you know there's farmers out there all the time and and people trimming limbs all the time i mean the leases i hunt here in kansas there's farmers constantly you know they're 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 always out there uh checking their ground or or whatever they're doing checking sprayers or whatever and so those deer are more used to people uh now they're not used to somebody sitting in a tree and they're not used to you know a stagnant human scent but they're used to people out there making noise and banging equipment and it, i mean all the time and so I think it all comes down to where you're hunting. Yeah. Yeah. Cause some people, they won't even go into an area. If they've got a buck that's, that's working in an area, they won't even touch it. They're just like, Nope, not going in there today. The wind's not right. Who so. was it? You guys might, you might, you might've heard this. I don't remember. It was a, a known big buck killer. I don't, I don't remember. Um, but they were talking about checking trail cameras and going to your tree stand. 
And he said, listen, if I could, I would take a tractor to my tree stand every time because those deer are so used to tractors and, and farmers. Yeah. He's like, I would drive a stinking RV to my tree stand before I walk in because they're used to vehicles. They're used to people driving th- down the road and, you know, all that good stuff, but they're not used to somebody sneaking through the woods. So he's like, I would drive a stinking RV to my tree stand if I could. Yeah. And uh, so that's what they're used to. In every place, you got to look at that, you know, and if, if you've got a rancher who usually drives in and out, try to find a ride in and out. You know, it's yeah. the same. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, well, and how many times have you been just sitting in the truck and all of a sudden you look up and there's a deer walking by the truck, you know, yeah. when you're, when you're taking a little break or you've been hunting and you go back to your truck and there's deer standing right by your truck. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, if you had one tip to leave our listeners with to get 300 days in the field or even, you know, even a hundred days in the field, marry what, a game what, warden. Gosh, <laughs> I guess. Uh, what, what would your tip be? Well, I really think it's true for anything. And that is, if you have a dream, if you don't quit and you just keep after it, um, there's nothing that can um, go do better than hard work, right? There might be other people who will be more talented than me, who may have been better hunters than me, but I absolutely would not let anyone outwork me. Whether it was when I was a cameraman, when I was the hunter, when I was the editor, I did it all to make it happen. And I think that's so true in anything you go after. If you literally will not let someone else outwork you, you will get your dream. It may take longer than you want. It may be harder than you want, but if you really believe in yourself and live by that, you can make anything happen. Excellent. I like that. Yeah, there's no excuse for, or there's no replacement for hard work. Everybody from somebody who did push-ups at age 11 to shoot their bow at age 12. I know that's awesome. I like that story. I didn't. I didn't. Fortunately, I was. I was big enough. I didn't have to do push-ups just to draw a bow. So that. (laughs) Um. Well, I'll tell you what, Melissa. We sure enjoyed having you on the show. Thank you very much for taking some time with us today. Um, always great to see you and, uh, always great to look at that trophy wall back there. So, um, anyway, have a wonderful day and a fantastic season coming up and good luck in the Turkey woods here in the next little bit. Well, thank you guys very much. I appreciate you having me and take care. All right. Take care.